electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Wherever I go, I hear death knells. The banking system is collapsing. The consumer's tapped out. China's going to crush us. Russia's running us over. We won't be able to get loans. Office real estate's crashing. The national debt's insane. To which I say sometimes, you need to take a page from Johnny Mercer and accentuate the pause a little more. Be a little more constructive. Owning stocks has paid off before, and I'll better pay off again. Just look at today. You could have easily sold yesterday if you were so worried. Dow gained 316 points. This would be climb 1.3%. NASDAQ jumped 1.58%. And I'm not trying to gauge things by the day. I'm saying be more constructive. Attenuated sense of what really impacts stocks. Many seem to believe the market calculates things rationally and that it shares their own often negative assumptions about the way the world works. For example, the market must know that Democrats and Republicans will never get along, so Congress can't pass anything meaningful to at least 2024. They can't help the banks. As long as there's the government dysfunction, they assume there could be no opportunity in stocks. People figure the market knows it'll be almost impossible to resolve the looming debt ceiling crisis and that if one bank fails, they can all fail. The debt ceiling is worrisome, but it was 12 years ago and it got resolved. Oh, yes, the market fell 19 percent, peaked to 12. But it did get resolved. And more important, the averages never really look back until the COVID outbreak. It's just a, like that. You had to buy. Still, though, what I want you to know is there's very little that's rational about the market on a day to day basis and certainly not on an hour-to-hour basis or a minute-to-minute basis. Too many of us act like the market's somehow all-knowing and all-seeing. However, because of overwhelming negativity from the political media echo chamber, I think this market's become the sum of all our fears. And it stays that way until it gets so oversold that fear is wrenched from our collective consciousness. 
for a small time period. Let me give you some examples. For the last week, we've been gripped by the fear of bank failures. The shocking decline and fall of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank had everyone worried that we might repeat the errors and disruptions in the Steve the bank runs that we saw during the Great Recession. Now, it didn't matter that back in 2008, what we had was a credit crisis with banks lending and borrowing against bogus real estate costs. That wasn't the case and is not the case here at all. This time, we have a mismatch between what banks own and what depositors expect them to own. And those depositors can easily leave bad banks for better ones because the depositors might be the depositors might be too big to be insured by the FDIC. Of course, you can flee. A worried depositor can flee with a keystroke, particularly a worried depositor who needs money. We were shocked by how quickly Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. But when you have a handful of huge depositors in the same industry who constantly talk to each other and it leaks to social media, it's no mystery that the banks have gone or if they all decide to bolt at once. <laughs> And it is terrifying to see a stock go from 267 to zero in less than two days. That's what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. It's even more frightening when another bank goes from 70 to zero over the course of a weekend. That's what happened to Signature, which had a similarly concentrated deposit base, except it was more crypto-oriented. Oh, then Credit Suisse, a bank we've been worried about for ages, had already seen the stock roll down to two bucks. Then you wake up the next morning and sure it's worth half that. And it's merged with UBS at the urging of the Swiss government. A lot of bank debt wiped out before common stock. So when we see another bank, say First Republic, experiencing similar deposit departures, it's natural to assume that that stock's also going to zero. Even if it was in the 120s just over two weeks ago, because that 120 price hadn't have been wrong, correct? That's certainly what people thought as the stock plunged from $34 last Thursday to $12 yesterday, even as it rallied three and a half points today, although again, it's selling off after the close. Which brings us to the current state of play as of, well, let's say, last night and today. See, we learned that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has had enough, and she has said that deposits will be protected if that's what they have to do. Now, we don't have it written in stone. It's not like anything that we can take to the bank, so to speak. But let me see. It does say that we got to start being more positive, does it? The big issue in First Republic is in the quality of its loan book, which is pretty good. But it's an old-fashioned bank run where deposits are fleeing. You met for a bunch of larger banks deposited $30 billion in the darn thing to stop the run. So Yellen's thin red line means the bank probably gets saved? And maybe we've seen the end of the crisis? Is that how the stock surged nearly 30%? Now, again, remember, until today, this market reflected this mar- the uh, sum of all fear zeitgeist about bank stocks. Suddenly, some of those fears vanish. We catch a breather. Bank stocks bounce from a short covering rally. Perhaps more than a short covering rally, though. Could it be the genuine bottom? But whoever wants to be caught saying that in the YouTube age. So no one has any surety short term. Does it make sense for the market to behave this way? Of course not. Nobody knows anything about what's only going to happen with First Public. Nobody. It's about psychology. Maybe nothing's changed. Deposits are still fleeing. Maybe the FDIC ends up seizing it and the stock goes to zero. Or maybe everybody feels uh, calm and uh, hope springs eternal for First Republic because of what Janet Yellen said. Maybe yesterday's decline was insane. We honestly have no idea. But people sure don't act that way. They, they act so sure at that, every, that moment. And it just, it's just unknown. What I'm saying is it's unknown short term doesn't mean it's unknown long term. Which brings me to the second ridiculous example. Last week, when we were worried about which bank was next, the brilliant market sold any stock that requires a strong economy, especially the oils and the industrials, because if banks fail, well, won't those be crushed? 
Well, the stocks sure were, but not the businesses. Today, we discovered the First Republic may be saved and the regional banks might be preserved. So everybody rushes back to the oils and the industrials? Yes, they're flying, but they're barely related to this crisis in any way. It makes no sense. It gets dumber. When the industrials and the oils and the banks were getting hammered, the market rushed into the safety stocks, which has improved plays like food and drug concerns. Those were pummeled today because, well, First Republic seems safe or at least safer than yesterday. And then a final dose of stupidity. The market dove into tech last week because tech wins if the Fed stops tightening and bank runs make, might make that happen. Today, though, tech initially sold off as last week's rotation reversed itself. Then we got, we got buyers rushed in to buy Alphabet, Meta. There's some, some positive commentary from analysts. And by the way, the Meta did have a declaration. The analysts did say that revenue growth is going to be up, and that would be gigantic for Meta. And the other, the Alphabet, that was just some analysts saying, you know what, I think it's the right time to buy. But guess what? We saw real good news from another company, and that is we saw great news from NVIDIA. And that's a very different situation. People are much more excited about NVIDIA because they should be, because they're talking about generative AI, and it's suddenly become mainstream. It's the iPhone moments to CEO Jensen Wong, and he's got the best technology power of the stuff. We have Jensen on the show tonight, and I've got to tell you, his speech today made me think anything you could do, NVIDIA can do better. NVIDIA can do anything better than you. Yes, with apologies to Andy Oakley. That was the only thing I've heard in the last 48 hours that is of any significance was NVIDIA. Everything else is just emotion. Final bit of market stupidity. There are plenty of people who didn't want to take action today because who knows what Fed Chief Jay Powell will do tomorrow or how it'll be received by Wall Street. Will he tighten by a quarter point, possibly sending a a sign of strength? Will he leave rates unchanged, possibly a, a sign of weakness? Or does it even matter at all? Well, it matters to those who are fearful, but it doesn't matter if you think we're closer to the end of the tightening cycle. That's what's important to me. Because stocks do better when we're no longer fighting the Fed. If Powell stands pat or only tightens by a quarter point, there's no denying him we're coming to the end of this rate hike cycle. And I'm hoping this idiotic market actually understands that that's good news. Here's the bottom line. Now, I'm not saying you can ignore the day-to-day action. I'm simply saying that anyone who thinks they know what's going to happen in the next hour or two has been proven wrong this time. But if you take a longer view, owning stocks of high-quality companies that have good balance sheets, good balance sheets, history says you tend to be a winner. Pat in Texas. Pat. Uh, Yes. Thank you, Jim, for taking my call. Thank you for all you do. Uh, I'm an investing club member. And thank you for all your charity donation through that. My question is on. My question is on Home Depot. Uh, The balance sheet it has a total assets of seventy six billion, total liabilities of seventy four billion, long term debt of forty two billion, cash in hand of two point seven billion. With that kind of balance sheet, is Home Depot a buy? Well, remember, Home Depot does have to borrow in order to be able to just do its business. It actually has a great balance sheet. Anybody who looked at the balance sheet during 2008 recognized this company is one of the most conservative companies on earth. They have gigantic free cash flow, too. I like Home Depot here. Now, am I worried about it? Again, it's just like I said at the top of the show. I don't know if Home Depot is having a good day or a good week or a good month. I just happen to think that Home Depot is a great franchise. Now, I say it pays to be constructive over the long haul. So what's with all the negativity out there? 
I think it's very misdirected. Well, man, I'm going to tell you, Huntington Bank shares is caught, caught up in this regional bank crossfire. So is this a name that investors can rely on? I'm digging into the details with the company's top brass. Then NVIDIA, as I mentioned, held its GTC conference today, featuring a ton of new announcements on the AI front. So what did we learn from Leonardo da Vinci himself during the keynote? Don't miss my exclusive with NVIDIA's founder and CEO, Jensen Wong. And Mary Dillon, formerly of Ulta, is now at the helm of Foot Locker. And I'm learning more about her vision for the footwear retailer and seeing if the stock could be a perfect fit for your portfolio. I'm thinking positive. How about you? Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. The Bolivia Regional Bank stocks got some tremendous relief today. Thanks in large part to some encouraging comments from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, although I don't think she went far enough, but more on that later. Well, we're definitely not out of the woods when it comes to this mini banking crisis. Aside from some extreme one-off situations like First Republic, things seem to have stabilized for the moment for the bulk of the regional banks. And some of them could be pretty intriguing here, given that their stocks are still down huge from their highs. So I want you to consider Columbus, Ohio-based Huntington Bank shares, the parent of Huntington National Bank. This one has long been one of my favorite regionals, but thanks to the recent bank run, this thing is down about 27% since the beginning of March. And that's including 5.6% rebound today. At these levels, the stock 
Peacock Sports a generous 5.5% yield. Let's not forget, when they reported in late January, the results were excellent with an encouraging full-year forecast at $1 billion buyback authorization. But in this environment, is it safe to bottom fish in even the highest quality regional banks? Let's take a close look with Steven Steinauer. He's the chairman and CEO of Huntington Bank Shares. Find out how he's navigating this difficult moment. Mr. Steinauer, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be with you, Jim. Thank you. All right. What have these last two weeks been like for you? Guy who runs a good bank with a lot of protection because you have local deposits and don't seem to look at all like the banks that are in trouble. Well, the past two weeks, we've seen a lot of outreach. We've had a lot of outreach to our customers and uh, great communication. And obviously, there's a, they've looked to us as a source of strength. And we've been there. We've been able to help them uh, answer questions and understand what's going on. Uh, so, a very uh, an active couple of weeks and a, a a really good good result from our perspective. And have there been tremendous deposit outflows like we've heard from some other banks? Well, our deposit levels are virtually unchanged since uh, days before the the activity started, and and uh, and you know we've had a lot of support. There's a we're a source of strength in the communities. We've been been here for over a century and a half, and our customers trust us so. We've been able to connect with them, help them, and uh, and our uh, our position net positions in really good shape. So uh, we've seen commercial assets flock, the depositors flock to say J.P. Morgan because they know that it's got a great balance sheet. What's the advantage of staying with Huntington versus going with the great balance sheet of J.P. Morgan? Well, when you think about Huntington and other regional banks, you know we've been a source of strength for these. Communities, cities, and towns where we've we've we we do business for many many years. In our case, a century and a half. Uh, that's uh, that's earned a trust. You know, just three years ago, we were very active making PPP loans. Huntington was extraordinarily so. We're the number one SBA lender in the country. But you know, region, super regional banks and smaller banks made ninety percent of those loans to help you know small businesses uh, survive. And 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 so we've earned a level of trust and confidence over time, and and uh, uh, and we'll be there in the future. And the larger banks just simply can't; they they can't be local everywhere. We are absolutely now. One thing that I worry about is that have the bad actors and some like Gresham's Law hurt the good, and that there's going to be a lot of regulation that could hurt Huntington's earnings power. Well, you know, when you go through something like this, there are always lessons to be learned, and we will we will learn those. We have an aggregate moderate to low risk profile. We've been very diligent over many, many years, more than a decade, at thinking about risks and, and how to manage it. So I don't think we need more regulation. We will we will take the lessons learned anyway. We, we may need uh, regulation to be enforced in some of these outlying institutions, but the majority, the vast majority of the banks and certainly the super regional banks like us, are in really good shape. What makes it so that people can't distinguish, large investors can't distinguish among banks? I mean, you had a, a clustered number of large deposits at Silicon. You have a somewhat unfathomable book of loans from First Republic, I think. Uh, you had Signature clustered in some very odd different assets, crazy stuff that they, they took in. Why can't people see the difference between Huntington and those banks? Well, I think this is a perfect illustration of where the differences are. Like, we're a classic very large community bank that's done that's grown uh, uh, gradually over the years. These other banks have grown very rapidly. They outgrew their risk management capabilities, and we see the consequences. And so I think, again, these super regional banks all the way to the community banks 
uh, uh, generally are very, very well managed. It's just these outliers that have very unique business models and don't have a differentiated customer base. We have 3 million plus checking account customers, 400,000 plus businesses, and you compare that to these other two that failed, and, and they were maybe 10% of the customer base that we had. Well, what do you expect, given that everyone's so jittery, uh, will that be enough to impact the Fed to not raise rates tomorrow, do you think? Or is the Fed just taking a longer-term view about inflation and recognizes that this too shall pass when it comes to a banking crisis? Well, I, I think, you know, it's stabilizing. Every day has been progressively better right. uh, for us. And, and when I talk to my peers, for them as well, you know, the, the Fed's got this dual mandate right now of, uh, of safety and security, the banking system and inflation. And inflation, I think, is, um, uh, you know, an area of continuous focus throughout this year. But I think the, 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 the system itself is, is restabilizing in a, in a very significant way. You see it in the equity markets and, and in other measures. And so um, job one uh, 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 leads me to believe that the Fed, if they increase, will be a, a 25 bip increase and they may not. Are you looking at any distressed assets you like to have? Maybe take an opportunity here. No, we're 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 looking at our customers and how do we support them? Let's let's assume the Fed successfully slows down the economy. That's what we were expecting at the start of the year. How do we how do we help them? How do we do more with them for them uh, as they as they navigate the slowdown? Some of our some of our business customers are seeing that in different sectors. Think about housing, healthcare, some of the other sectors are already getting impacted, were last year. And the, the, you know, as rates continue to, to rise, uh, assuming they do, uh, you'll see other sectors that are, that are gonna be um, a bit more challenged this year than in the past. Well, I and that's where we come in, we're a source of strength. I wish others had a, a, as a consistent and, I, less I say, conservative and sustainable attitude toward banking that you have. We would be a, in much better shape in this country. That's Stephen Steinar. He's the Huntington Bank Shares Chairman, President, CEO. Long one of my faves. Thank you so much for being on the show, Stephen. Really appreciate it. Great to be with you, Jim. Thank you. We have money's back in the break. Coming up, it's innovations galore at NVIDIA's Big Spring event. Kramer catches up with the visionary who's pushing AI to new heights. Next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. very special what you're about to hear. Who could have predicted that artificial intelligence would become the next big thing in tech, especially when the whole sector was getting slaughtered last year? NVIDIA, that's who. In the last few months, we've been enthralled by generative AI 
Yeah, but these programs like ChatGPT. But Wall Street quickly realized the key here is the technology that powers AI, much of which comes from Kramer, Fave, NVIDIA. Big reason why the stock's up 140% from its lowest last October. Now, today's NVIDIA's Renaissance man, CEO Jensen Wong, gave his annual keynote speech at the GPU Technology Conference, followed by a Q&A session with analysts. I think this should be required viewing because it always gives us great insights to the future. You must see it if you're going to own a tech stock. But don't take it from any stock at this point. Don't take it from me. Let's go straight to the source, Jensen Wong. He's the visionary founder and CEO of NVIDIA. Learn more. Jensen, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Nice to see you. Well, this was some day. Uh, it's been some couple of years, frankly. But one thing that I think people will understand immediately is when you say that this is the iPhone moment for something. The iPhone moment for AI? Yeah, this is a big deal. You know, with the PC, with the Internet, then cloud, mobile cloud, iPhone created a new computing platform, a new computing model. The way you program it is different. The way you use it is different. And what it can do is completely different, something really quite incredible. And this is absolutely the case with generative AI. You program it with human language. You don't have to program it with C or Pascal or Fortran or C++ or Java. You just program it with human language, your favorite language. And it could be precise, it could be imprecise, and somehow through conversation, this computer figures out what it is that you want, and it does it for you. It can even write software for you. It can create art for you. It can write stories for you, poems for you, um, to dictate for you. It could, you know, condense a contract for you. And it could be deployed in so many different ways, as Microsoft and Google has just demonstrated. It's connected directly into the most popular applications in the world, Office and Google Docs. These are the most pervasive Office automation productivity applications in the world. And now it's going to enhance those. And so this is a, a brand new computing platform, a new computing model. And that's the reason why I call it the iPhone moment of AI. But the confusing thing for me, or unless I was working with Steve Jobs for many, many months before, is that this is something you showed me repeatedly and showed our viewers repeatedly. But it took this chat GPT to get everyone just it, it, it turned the world upside down. What, what happened? You've been telling me. You showed me this stuff. I showed it. It just didn't resonate until ChatGPT? ChatGPT, the AI heard around the world. Hey, listen, you know, the, the team at OpenAI just did an amazing job. First of all, they realized that by scaling up these large language models, both in the number of parameters, effectively divert the computer science version of neurons, and the amount of data that the neural network learned from or essentially the metaphor of human experience. Um, the more experience you give it, the bigger brain you have, uh, the more capability this AI model can achieve. And the thing that was really groundbreaking is at some point, uh, it was able to uh, perform tasks that you didn't have to explicitly teach it. And now this chat GPT with, a, with all of the technology they put in place to um, uh, put guardrails on it, to uh, make it make it so that so that you can you can uh, teach it how to perform instructions, um, uh, uh, enhance it, augment it, and and align it so that so that it's uh, uh, not biased and 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 uh, and ideally and, and as much as possible not harmful. I mean, all of the things that they've done to take what it was GPT to into a Chat GPT model that was groundbreaking stuff that they did, right. and as a result, right. what happened was this. AI, this application, became the easiest application in the world to use. No application in history 
has ever been so easy to use and so effective when you tell it to do something. And that's really the reason why it was the fastest growing application in the world. In just a couple of months, over 100 million people used it. Um, it, it just kind of tells you uh, what a groundbreaking application this was. Do you think the world's ready for this, Jensen? Do you think the world really is ready for this? Well, the world is, is uh, absolutely ready for this because we, we want more, more productivity. We want to do more with less. There are some major problems that we would like to be able to attack without, that without the help of AI, we can't really get to it. For example, uh, we announced at GTC this platform called BioNemo. And it's an end-to-end -end system that, that includes uh, imaging systems, uh, everything from uh, accelerating cryo-EM, mass spec, um, X-ray crystallography, uh, gene sequencing. Um, all of those instruments are bringing just a massive amount of data into of healthcare into computers. The second thing that we do is we now use that data to teach AI the language of biology, the language of of how the language of proteins, the language of, of uh, molecules, so that we can make predictions of what kind of proteins uh, would have the, the uh, similar functionality as helpful proteins or chemicals that have similar properties as helpful chemicals. Uh, and we could do, we can also um, uh, do virtual screening right inside the computer. None of this would be possible without the giant breakthrough of large language models. The same language model that learned the human language is now the same language model we're using to learn the language of biology and the language of chemistry. And so these kind of breakthroughs accelerate uh, work that none of us could possibly imagine doing just a few years ago. And now the healthcare industry, the drug discovery industry is just buzzing with enthusiasm over this new capability. And we announced a, a system, a, a large language model creation uh, system called BioNemo. Well, so this is just one example of the many, many examples of things that we were able to do now without uh, that, that wasn't possible. The many AI. verticals you outlined today, whether, whether it be, you know, everything from copywriting to uh, and advertising to industrial to sustainability, saving a lot, a lot less power, which I know you care tremendously, makes me feel that one day we could say, OK, we could talk to this and say, please solve kidney cancer for us. We want to know how prostate cancer can be stopped. Or at the same time, we want to put a man or a woman, man or woman on, the, on Mars, and we want to do it in two days. How do we do it? I mean, what's to keep this thing from ever being? It's just smarter than we are. Well, I don't know that it's smarter than we are. At the moment, it's, it's nowhere near as smart as we are. Um, but whatever we teach it and it's able to, to perform, it can perform a lot faster than we can. You know, this is no different than, than when uh, we had access to search for the very first time. It was just incredible to have the world's information literally there, right there in that one browser, and you could prompt, uh, prompt it to, to find you information from anywhere. It was like instantaneously the world's libraries were tur you know, turned inside out, and all of the information that we wanted to get access to, we have at our fingertips. At that capability, enhanced human capability. It, it made us all smarter. It made it possible for us to gain access to information quicker and, uh, and lower the bar uh, for access of information. Now, the thing that's, that's happening now with large language models and ChatGPT is the first to demonstrate it. We lowered the bar for programming computers. This is a field that was only available, really, really accessible to a small group of 
computer scientists in the world, programmers in the world, and now we've democratized it. We, we've narrowed this technology gap tremendously, this, this technology divide where some people know how to use the tools, um, benefit from it, versus other people who don't understand how to use the tool can't benefit from it. And so the very first time, we've, we've completely closed that gap and democratized computing. This, this ability for AI to, in one vertical, and I just, this is kind of a ge general vertical. Right. Um, of course, you're gonna use this for uh, education. Uh, we'll, we'll have a, our own AI teacher to teach us matters and uh, things that we would like to do, you know, learn calculus, learn differential equations, learn fluid dynamics, learn what, quantum chemistry, learn the things that you would love to learn, uh, but quite frankly, it's just too inaccessible to you today. And now here's an AI that could teach you the information they, in the future, not only will you get the words, uh, you'll get the words, you'll, they'll describe the equations, they'll illustrate it for you, generate images and videos for you, uh, maybe even generate for you a 3D graphic simulation so that you can interact with it and learn even more deeply. Well, so I, all of these kind of capabilities are finally here. Well, I just want to congratulate you and everyone should go watch the keynote. But I found, I, I, I found a lot of times uh, that it was bigger than what I could understand. So I watched it a second time. I'm going to watch it a third time tonight because it is just not of this world. And I got to tell you, sometimes, as you know, I call you Da Vinci. You're not of this world. I just got to congratulate you and your team for a great job. Jensen Wong, founder, president, and CEO of NVIDIA. Great to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Absolutely. Yeah, my back in. Coming up, stores are closing after a holiday slide. Can a bankable CEO put her foot down? Find out next. Are things starting to rock for Foot Locker after years of underperformance? In September, the shoe store chain announced they were bringing in as CEO one of our favorite execs, Mary Dillon, the visionary former CEO of Ulta Beauty, who turned that store into a cosmetics powerhouse before retiring. Fast forward to yesterday, Foot Locker reported a good quarter with tepid short-term guidance, but offered a fabulous longer-term view and notably impressed Wall Street with its new strategy at its Investor Day event later on. Now, we know Nike reported a good number tonight, but offered a weaker forecast. In the old days, that would hurt Foot Locker stock, but not with its new strategy, which is much more broad and less dependent on any one company. Earlier today, we got to hear it firsthand from Ms. Dillon here at the New York Stock Exchange. Take a look. Mary, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you. Thanks for having me here today. I really appreciate it. I thought Lace Up was one of the most exciting remakes, so to speak, of any of the CEOs I've ever heard. I've gotten used to a CEO coming in and just saying, yes, this is how it is. You're reinventing, and it's really exciting. Well, thank you for noticing that. I'm thrilled. Listen, I'm honored to lead Foot Locker. I'm very confident in our plans. The Lace Up plan is really designed to really have us simplify, invest, and grow. And we're focused on four big things, expanding sneaker culture, we're calling it Powering Up Our Portfolio, which is about our stores. It's about getting closer to the customer and being best in class on the channel. Well, you seem to have identified the different kinds of customers. The deal finder cares about price. The quality person, well-fitting, feel good. The sneaker maven, that's yeah. the category where people are just going nuts. This is not yeah. your same uh, categories that it used to be. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we, there's an inner sneakerhead in everybody. This is what I'm discovering. And certainly the sneaker maven, those are folks who really are all about finding the best and the coolest and really defining their personalities through their sneakers. I think about myself. I was always an active athlete in that category as a runner, but now I'm also a fashion forward expressionist because I'm learning that you can expand your sneaker wardrobe. I have my 
white, white Air Force Ones on today. Gorgeous. And I think there's plenty of room for people to expand the percent of sneakers that are in their closet. And Foot Locker is here to do that. In the meantime, a work from home, uh, casual means what you're wearing. Absolutely. I'm working out of home today. No, I'm teasing. But the I would say mass casualization, which mass is mass casual. Exactly. And hi, hybrid hybrid work has to do right. with that. But also, I mean, have you seen at black tie events? There's men in tuxedos wearing sneakers, and women in dresses wearing sneakers. So that's just of, one of the areas. A lot of them are wearing this kind of shoe. Ah. This company reported this morning. Yes. It was one of the finest quarters I've seen. Yeah. They want to expand in Foot Locker. They said that they love the channel and that they're selling out. Now, this yeah. was not available in the, in the pre-Mary Foot Locker that I ever saw. Well, Mary can't take credit for introducing it initially right. to Foot Locker. The I team know, did that. Some. But I will tell you, that's a great example of, this is about expanding sneaker culture. And On Running is a fantastic brand. You know, this is about really making sure that all your sneaker, head, all your sneaker needs can be met. And we can do that. I'm glad you're a fan. Oh, my God. There's a, it's slip off. Fantastic. <laughs> At the same time, I could have gotten a great new running shoe that was not necessarily a Nike in your stores. Well, that's right. So I'm glad you're shopping our stores. And I would say for us, it's about we've got, you know, Nike's a leader in the industry and we love what we're doing there. And then there's other brands that we're also expanding and growing as well. So again, we're thinking this is about unlocking the inner sneaker head. At the same time, you're locking the inner neighborhood, WSS, yes. the community stores. Yeah. You've always respected these things. I remember when you first moved Ulta in areas that you took me to that I had not thought were very commercial. Totally wrong. These are great brands. Yeah, well, I'd say, first of all, for a footlocker, our community stores are a critical part of what we do. We're going to be doing more of those. WSS is a banner that I didn't know until I came to Footlocker because we're largely in Southern California initially focused on the Hispanic family with deep respect and admiration for the communities that we operate in. And that's going to be one of our growth levers. Well, another one's going to be, I could not believe what Ulta just reported, which, of course, Ulta. <laughs> so proud of the team. 40 million loyalty members. Your loyalty program is so small here, but I know you're going to reinvent. I know I'm going to love the app. It's going to be like the old days. Well, that's the exciting thing. I think we have so much opportunity ahead, and the team is really excited about it. So loyalty, you know, our loyalty program, we're going to relaunch, and it's going to be much more relevant to many more people and really increase, I think, share of wallet and access and experiences and rewards, right? The app, we're going to work on the uh, e-commerce experience so that we can have a higher percent of our sales going through both store and online. There's so many opportunities to unlock, and we're investing to do that. Now, at the same time, you've had to you know, bitter pill some. You have to close a lot of stores. Yeah. You're going to move out of certain malls. Uh, you're closing down on, and licensing some other operations. Yeah. You, you have to take some bold action. Absolutely. And we're calling this powering up the portfolio because it's about being in the right places and showing up in the right way. So we're going to actually expand our square footage over our long, over time. We're closing some stores, but we're also opening up new stores that are concept stores like community stores, power stores, house of play for kids. Um, and so there's plenty of opportunity for us to do that and really get to more places, including more off-mall. So we're going to get to 50% off-mall in the next few years. I think that's amazing. Yeah. It's what you need to be in standalone. And I also love the fact that you're spending, admittedly, you say right up front, look, we have to spend a lot on technology. It was technologically yeah. deprived. You're changing that. Yeah, and listen, you know, I've been around the block before, so I know what it takes if our investors can see that we have a plan and we are transparent about the plan and say we're going to invest, but here's the return we're going to get on those investments, then it's the right thing to do. So, you know, that's exactly what we did on our investor day yesterday. Okay, so now uh, other people know how the tremendous success you had at Ulta. You retired. They can't believe you come back. I know you as just a workaholic who, of course, <laughs> would come back. I was just waiting for the venue. Is that what happened? 
You know, I listen, I'm so proud that I was able to develop a next generation of leaders at Alta Beauty. Dave's doing a great job. And I really wasn't necessarily sure I was going to run another public company. I wasn't sure. But guess what? I really miss, I really, Foot Locker really spoke to me because I love retail and I love the opportunities. Listen, we have over 40,000 store employees. And in the U.S., over 90% of our, of our young employees are black or Hispanic. And the opportunities and careers that we're creating, often in some areas that there aren't as many retail stores, is very exciting to me. At the same time, the consumer, the term you use, scarcity. They love scarcity. Why is that? Well, it's a balancing act. I think for the sneaker maven, knowing that's something that they can get that really helps express their individual style and flair is very attractive. So part of our strategy around our expanding sneaker culture is increasing the percent of products that we sell that are exclusives, right? Because don't you want to be like the cool guy who's got the stuff? But there's also so many other uh, occasions that we serve through all parts of the family, through all sorts of active occasions, that it's really a balancing act of scarcity and availability and great great value. I want to go back to something you said about your the stripers, which were featured in Jeopardy recently. How about that? Yeah, that's you know you've good. made it then. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, you have always cared passionately about diversity, but not in name. I mean, you're putting up stores and neighborhoods that people have forgotten. Uh, WSS is going to turn to be an unbelievable brand because you get these things. Uh, you've always believed that business is the greatest force of social change. Well, listen, I, I come from, I'm a pretty self-made person, a first-generation first college graduate. I've had every job you could possibly have uh, from when I was 15 years old. So I have a deep admiration and respect for the people that are actually doing the work every day. And when you go into our stores and you talk to our stripers, our store team, not only are they experts in sneaker culture, not only do they love working with each other, but we're creating opportunity for them as well, and I'm very committed to that. And, uh, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that you made targets that I think were pretty bold because we are a stock show. Yes. I mean, you're talking about a, t a total shareholder return by 2026. Did you really want to make that bold a goal? I think, I think they're very, very achievable goals. Well, I shouldn't say very, very achievable. I think they're For the Mary right Dillon goals. I think they're the right goals because we have the right strategies in place, key metrics around each strategy that, a strategy that will really lead to this long-term profitable growth algorithm that we guided to. Well, so. I will tell you that it's been a decade. I've never mm -hmm. said that this stock should be bought. I've always felt if you wanted to buy something in the area, just go buy Nike. Now, we should buy Foot Locker. Well, okay. I appreciate that. Absolutely. I feel very confident about our future. It's Thank a, you. It's actually an easier yeah. call than you. <laughs> it's Mary Dillon, President and CEO of Foot Locker. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Coming up, what's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the lightning round. Let's start with David in Florida. David. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. I've got a oh, chill man's for back. you. Sure. I'm wondering if you've had a change of heart on ChargePoint. We saw a slight uptick today. And I know that, uh, you know, I, I am not free. recommending any stocks so, so, so. on mad money of companies that are losing money. I just can't. I don't want people to lose money when there's so many good opportunities to make money. Let's go to Peter in Michigan. Peter. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good. How are you, Peter? Beautiful. It's a beautiful spring day in Ann Arbor. There you go. I hadn't thought of that. What's up? So I have a question. Veneer <clears throat> Energy, the global liquid 
Very good company, but I've got to tell you, Sempronet made this really big announcement yesterday. I like Sempra more. Let's go to Chris in Delaware. Chris. Jim, it's Chris. You're up, Chris. What's up? Football coach at the University of Delaware. Go Blue and Booyah. There, why not? It's about Zim integrated shipping. Ticker symbol D-I-M. I don't recommend the shipping stocks. I think that they have these big yields, but the actual common stock is what I care about, and it's not sustainable. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, don't let a good crisis go to waste. How some outside-the-box thinking may be what's needed to help the regional banks under siege. Next. Glad Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen very publicly went to bat for besieged community and regional banks both last night and this morning, the two cores most threatened by this mini banking crisis. But when I look at all the plans for some of the truly foundering regional banks, I'm depressed by the lack of creativity. We got 11 major banks led by JP Morgan cramming $30 billion of deposits into First Republic, which is the most in danger of the group. Thomas no avail, even if it was able to bounce nearly 30% today from much lower level than it was last week. You have other banks with mismatches between what bonds they own and what needy depositors thought they owned, causing unstoppable runs. Yet anybody watching social media is withdrawing their money from some banks <laughs> that were questionable. Not Huntington, as we heard tonight, but definitely others. And they're doing so faster than the Fed or the Treasury sec- Secretary can stop the bleeding. And I don't see anything that suggests the current system can put these bank run worries to bed, at least not overnight. So what's the best way to resolve this crisis in a way that prevents the first, next First Republic and silences the doom and gloom brigade? First, you need to understand the problem. You've got large pools of money run by people who now believe it's their fiduciary duty to pull their cash out of smaller banks and put it into large ones, especially J.P. Morgan, which is regarded as the safest of the safe. Second, we know that the largest depositors often have a strategic imperative. All else equal, they would actually prefer to support local and regional banks like Mr. Steinhauer from Huntington said earlier because they're synonymous with small and medium-sized businesses. Why? Because in return for the lucrative deposits, these big companies can build a great deal of goodwill as the towns they bank in benefit. It buys them local connections, too. It's just good for everybody. So big companies love putting their money in smaller banks, but only when they feel that money is safe. Now they're terrified that it isn't. How do we solve the problem? I got some ideas. First, the FDIC's $250,000 cap on deposit insurance seems a bit anachronistic to me. It clearly needs to be raised if we want these regional and local banks to remain viable. I'd take it up to a cool million, not for the big guys, but because it would cover all sorts of smaller businesses that are leaving. LLCs, charities, they're the ones that are putting money uh, into the big guys and taking it out of the small guys. They're worried about bankruptcy. But what about the giant depositors that are even more vital to smaller banks? Remember, there's a reason why big businesses put their deposits in these towns. They want to get various sweetheart deals from local communities. Why not? They all work together. The big banks won't give them those kinds of deals. So what to do? Simple. Big businesses want to leave the deposits in local banks, but only if they know those deposits are protected, then why not charge them for that protection? I think the FDIC should start selling additional deposit insurance on anything above the cap to those who want it. There could be a sliding scale of which banks need to charge a few more basis points than others. We know the FDIC has this safety information, even if they haven't been using it very well. That would allow the larger depositors to leave their money in smaller banks with no fear. 
the cost of extra insurance wouldn't even need to be that great, as I bet tons of big businesses would be happy to pay up so they can keep the money locally. Best of all, this plan might not even need congressional approval. The FDIC could arguably implement it this week. It's just painful to hear every discussion of these issues terminate immediately with, oh, but that requires an act of Congress, because everybody assumes that our legislature is too dysfunctional to get anything done on a reasonable time scale. The good news here, though, is that support for small business is one of the few areas where both Democrats and Republicans are indeed on the same page. No politician wants to be seen as as persecuting small business owners. But passing laws takes time. And in this situation, speed is everything. My two-step solution, raise the FDIC insurance cap to $1 million, then allow companies to buy additional deposit insurance on larger amounts, can be implemented so quickly it would solve the banking crisis practically overnight. Time for the FDIC to go big or go home. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.